coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. On a rainy afternoon in Atlanta, Folsom County, after an a rainy night. <laughs> so I... Sorry, it's not even original. I saw somebody else post that, and I thought, "Oh, that's 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 quippy. That's very judicially funny." Haha. Uh-huh. In uh, a, a, a rainy night in Fulton County, uh, let's go to Fonnie Willis last night addressing the media. Thank you for joining us. I'm here with the prosecutors and investigators who have worked diligently on the investigation of criminal attempts to interfere in the administration of Georgia's 2020 presidential election. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. Please remember that everyone charged in this bill of indictment is presumed innocent. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump, Rudolph William Louis Giuliani, John Charles Eastman, Mark Randall Meadows, John Cheeseboro, Jeffrey Clark, Jenna Lynn Ellis, Ray Stallings Smith III, Robert David Cheeley, Michael A. Roman, David James Schaefer, Sean Micah Tresher Steele, Stephen Cliffgard Lee, Harrison William Prescott Floyd, Travion C. Cootie, Sydney Catherine Powell, Kathleen Austin Latham, Scott Graham Hall, and Misty Hampton, also known as Emily Misty Hayes. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. As you examine the indictment, you will see acts that are identified as overt acts, 
and those that are identified as predicate acts, sometimes called acts of racketeering activity. Overt acts are not necessarily crimes under Georgia law in isolation, but are alleged to be acts taken in furtherance of the conspiracy. Many occurred in Georgia and some occurred in other jurisdictions and are included because the grand jury believes they were part of the illegal effort to overturn the results of Georgia's 2020 presidential election. The acts identified as predicate acts or acts of racketeering activity are crimes that are alleged to have been committed in furtherance of the criminal enterprise. Acts of racketeering activity are also charged as separate counts in the indictment against those who are alleged to have committed them. All elections in our nation are administered by these states, which are given the responsibility of ensuring a fair process and an accurate counting of the votes. That includes elections for presidential electors, Congress, state officials, and local offices. The state's role in this process is essential to the functioning of our democracy. Georgia, like every state, has laws that allow those who believe that results of an election are wrong whether because of intentional wrongdoing or unintentional error to challenge those results in our state courts. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Subsequent to the indictment, as is the normal process in Georgia law, the, the grand jury issued arrest warrants for those who are charged. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday, the 25th day of August, 2023. I remind everyone here that an indictment is only a series of allegations based on a grand jury's determination of probable cause to support the charges. It is now the duty of my office to prove these charges in the indictment beyond a reasonable doubt at trial. I would like to take a moment to thank, thank the Superior Court Clerk, Shay Alexander, and her staff for staying late and making sure that this indictment was processed. I would also like to thank the men and women of Sheriff Labatt's office for keeping the courthouse open, but most importantly for keeping us safe over the weeks and months that have led up to this indictment and for what I know they will continue to do to keep us safe. We also want to thank the Atlanta Police Department and other law enforcement partners who have worked with the sheriff to keep us safe. I will now take a very limited number of questions prior uh, to going to sleep. <laughs> it was late. I'll go first. Madam District Attorney. Quick question, can you clarify in Georgia uh, the mandatory minimum when it comes to RICO charges, whether it's serviceable by probation or how that might play out? The, the RICO charges has time that you have to serve. 
So it is not a probated sentence. Madam District Attorney, what's the timetable for the trial? What is the timetable for the trial? Yes. As you know, in this jurisdiction, trials are set by the judges. Um, and so it will be the judge that sets the date of the trial. This office will be su submitting a proposed scheduling order within this week. However, that will totally be at the discretion of the judge. And one of you, you're the fourth person, fourth jurisdiction now to indict Donald Trump. Would you be the fourth one to try him, or could you move it up? Do you want to be the first to try him? I don't have any desire to be first or last. I want to try him and be respectful for our sovereign states. Um, we do want to move this case along, and so we will be asking for a proposed order that occurs a trial date within the next six months. Madam District Attorney, um, there was earlier today there was a fictitious document, according to the Fulton County Clerk's Office, that was circulated online with charges against former President Donald Trump. Those that fictitious document. Uh, matched exactly the charges that we now see in this indictment. Can you tell us more about that document leak? Uh, because now you have the former president's lawyers who are saying this is emblematic of a serious problem with your office. No, I can't tell you anything about um, what you refer to. What I can tell you is that we had a grand jury here in Fulton County. They deliberated till almost 8 o'clock, if not right after 8 o'clock. An indictment was returned. It was true-billed, and you now have an indictment. Um, I am not an expert on clerk's duties um, or even administrative duties. I wouldn't know how to work that system, and so I'm not going to speculate. Madam Next Madam question. Madam 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 Madam. Madam. Have you had any contact Madam. with the special counsel about overlap between these cases, and do you intend to try all of these defendants do I intend to try the 19 defendants in this indictment together? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And have you had any contact with the special counsel about the overlap between this indictment and the federal indictment? I'm not going to discuss our investigation at this time. Yeah, I'm going to take... What do you make of the, uh, the arguments uh, made by former President Trump that this is a politically motivated indictment? I make decisions in this office based on the facts and the law. Um, the law is completely nonpartisan. That's how decisions are made in every case. To date, this office has indicted, since I've been sitting as a district attorney, over 12,000 cases. This is the 11th RICO indictment. We followed the same process. We look at the facts, we look at the law, and we bring charges. And she was done taking questions at that point. So there you have it. Fonnie Willis has uh, a job ahead of her now, <laughs> as if she didn't have one before. And by the way, let's just get the elephant in the room some acknowledgement here. Were we not all thinking about this? Rico. You remember that song, right? Rico Suave. <laughs> song was in my head the entire went took it to Twitter and wouldn't you know like that's like the most action I've seen on my Twitter account in well, maybe ever for that particular Twitter account. Let me just pat myself on the back just a little bit there. Uh, so there's plenty to break down about this, and trust me, we will, of course, exhaustively. Can I just tell you before I even started on today's show? I just went ahead and took a nap because I'm already I'm pre-exhausted from this already. This has gone on so long, and we have many more months to deal with this. Uh, I think there's speculation that there's this notion that this could be done in six months. I don't think it'll be done in six months. I I, I think. There's probably some movement within the GOP to maybe even move this along faster. This might be the one way Republicans can kind of wash their hands of Donald Trump and go, eh, what are you going to do? It's the legal system. Sorry, buddy. We tried. 
again, another opportunity for Republicans to rid themselves of the stain, the orange stain, of Donald John Trump if they can stay out of their own way and let it happen. And, and listen, again, as Fawny said, as the district attorney said, everybody in this situation, presumed innocent, it is her and her office's job to spell out why they believe the charges levied against all 19 people, including Donald John Trump, are legitimate and warrant sentencing. A mandatory minimum, by the way, of five years in prison. Anyway, we've got so much to break down. We also have news out of Cobb County. Katie Rinderly, uh, the Cobb County elementary school teacher whose job had been carelessly put on the line. We have news uh, about that. We're going to speak with her attorney in just a few minutes here on The Ron Show. Thank you for listening on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast back after this. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Donald Trump taking to Truth Social nearly immediately last night. A large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report. There's no way he typed out the word irrefutable on his own. Well, anyway, a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud which took place in Georgia is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Based on the results of the conclusive, all caps, report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete exoneration, all caps. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers, in all caps. Anyone else bothered by the word riggers? Hmm. A little too close for me, Don. Uh, Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, on his private Twitter handle, by the way. The 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. He shared this Truth Social uh, post by saying the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. For nearly three years now, I could do his voice too, couldn't I? The 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. You know what? Let's just go on here. For nearly three years now, uh, Kemp tweets, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward under oath and prove anything in a court of law. Our elections in Georgia are secure, accessible, and fair, and will continue to be as long as I'm governor. The future of our country is at stake in 2024, and that must be our focus. Look at me for once agreeing with Brian Kemp. I mean, anything can happen, right? But he's he's right. If, if Donald Trump had all this evidence, he's been given. I mean, what, it's 2023 now. My God, you've had three and a half years, dude, to cough up this evidence. Stop, man. Rudy Giuliani, is he going to take this all the way to the Supreme Courtyard by Marriott with this evidence? Where is the evidence? We've been saying this forever. I I say this to the House that's, you know, trying to give us the there and the Hunter Biden. Where's the there? Give us the there. I'm saying the same thing to Donald Trump and his band of lawyers, past, present, and the ones that I'm sure he'll have to hire in the future because the ones he presently has will eventually drop him like a hot stone because they too don't want to be indicted. Yes, some of Trump's attorneys have also been indicted, but they're not alone. Oh no, there are several other shoes dropping in that matter, as a matter of fact. Uh, For one, Ray Smith III, an Atlanta-based attorney, according to Taylor Croft at the AJC, uh, representing Kelly Gambrell in her legal challenge of Cobb County's electoral map. 
was indicted Monday on felony racketeering charges for participating in the conspiracy to overturn former President Donald Trump's defeat in Georgia's 2020 election. Taylor Croft continues, the former president and 18 of his allies faced 41 felony counts in the indictment. Smith faces 12 himself. Taylor Croft continuing, back in 2020, Smith advised the alternate GOP electors who met in a committee room at the state capitol, cast votes for Trump, and signed documents falsely claiming Trump won. The charges are the culmination of a years-long criminal investigation launched by Fulton County District Attorney Fanny, don't call her Fanny, Eric Erickson, Willis. Meanwhile, I don't know about you guys, but while I'm watching, I'm staying up super late last night, uh, burning the midnight oil, watching CNN and MSNBC provide legal expertise and political expertise as the indictments are rolling out, as we're waiting on the indictments to roll out. I can't help but, like, with a morbid curiosity, look over to Fox News to see what they're doing. And it's fortunate that I don't have to do that for a living because I don't like doing it. And I wasn't really happy with what I was seeing because it's just more of the same, more of the fan flaming that we expect to get from the Sean Hannity and uh, and the like at uh, Fox News. And you know who does have the job doing that? The fellow by the name of uh, Andrew Lawrence. He is the Deputy Director of Rapid Response for Media Matters for America Andrew, thanks for joining us, and God bless you for watching that stuff. Did you? Did you? I mean, how long were you? Were you just like locked in watching it all prime time as as we were all waiting for the indictments to unroll? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for having me, and um, I, you know, I would say to a degree. I mean, I was last night was was pretty historic, mm-hmm. and I actually wanted to know what was going on. Um, so I had, I would say, I had MSNBC on about fifty percent, and uh, Fox News. Uh, about 50% as well. But, you know, with our setup, we, we can watch sort of both. You mm-hmm. just have to have one on mute the entire time. Sure. But, um, you know, one thing that stood out to me, though, you know, you were talking about watching the experts and MSNBC and CNN, they have these former prosecutors on right. and, and these lawyers that know what they're talking about. Yes. And Andrew Weissman. And then I look over at Fox News, you've got Caitlyn Jenner on there, <laughs> you know, and it's and it's Sean Hannity. Yes. like. It, you know, talking to, to Devin Nunes. It's just it's just Ugh. this clown show. It's, right. It was a circus. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there, there was a big, um, you know, on Twitter, uh, X, whatever you want to call it now, uh, a week or so ago, there was a big poll that came out. There was, you know, something like 70% of Republicans uh, believe the election was rigged and all that. And, and I was just thinking of that while I, I was sitting why. there watching this last night. Yeah, exactly. So it is... Um, it was a different planet last night over there, for sure. It really was. It made me think of like, and I wasn't alive for this, but it made me think of like the moon landing. Could you imagine if Fox News were around back then with all of their conspiracy theorizing? We think people thought it was states then and CGI in a closed state studio. Fox News would have run with that. That would have been the lead headline. Oh, yeah. No, it, uh, Ron, last, last night, they were running promos for a new show that's tackling the conspiracy theory whether or not birds are real. It's, it's <laughs> bizarre. So uh, what were some of the, I use the term loosely, highlights of Fox News coverage last night? First of all, when, when, when the news broke, did they come at it matter-of-factly or did they just come right out with the circus right away? Well, it was I would say it was sort of the circus right away, but this was a little bit different than the previous ones because we had actual, uh, actual video of the courtroom of right. all this being done. And then, you know, the press conference that took place um, as soon as the names were released and the indictments were actually unsealed and became public. So they, they didn't really have a chance 
to spin it the way that they did the the previous indictments. I mean, look, this is this is the fourth one now. I mean, it's mm. sort of becoming mess, muscle memory at this point. But what I can tell you is they jumped right into the same BS that they that they've talked about for the previous three. It's all what about Hunter? Uh, what about Hillary? Uh, this is about free speech, which obviously it's not, you know, they're saying that Donald Trump can't watch TV anymore, that type of thing. And, and it's just, you know, it's feeding this, this, um, this reaction from the base, you know, that, that this is, this is what happened on, on January 6th, you know, it's these, these exact same types of lies. And, you know, I'm sitting there watching Fox news last night and these people defending Trump, these are the same people that push the exact same election lies. That, that Trump is getting indicted for right now. And then they're still they're still using those same election lies to say that he was innocent and that he that he should have been arrested. It's just it's so bizarre. And and I've said this a few times now, but it is a different planet. They are living in a different reality. I want to put a pin in that and come back to that part of the conversation in just a few minutes. By the way, if you don't follow Media Matters, they're a fantastic organization. They are the ones that are out there watching these right wing news uh, factories and keeping them honest. He's a deputy director of Rapid Response, Andrew Lawrence from Media Matters. Stand by. We got a quick news break. We'll come back right after this on the Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Tuesday. I'm uh, grateful to have a few minutes to talk with the Deputy Director of Rapid Response, Andrew Lawrence, Media Matters for America. Uh, Media Matters. Dot org, right? Is that the website? Yep, right. that's okay. the website. Yep. So we're talking a little bit about the disparity in coverage last night. Uh, I, I, like many, well, maybe not like many, but I have this morbid curiosity. I'm watching CNN. I'm watching MSN. By the way, CNN with another primetime shakeup. Uh, but I also like to tune over to Fox News because I just want to see how the other folks cover when water is wet and, you know, when the sky is blue and, and what spin they give on it. And sure enough... It, it's it's just like Andrew was talking about last segment. Uh, Hunter Biden, uh, Hillary's emails, uh, everything but Donald Trump's own actions. Uh, the racketeering with he and other co-conspirators, the nineteen of uh, whom total, uh, landed on indictments yesterday, and it's it's just breathtaking, breathtaking to watch this disparity and how it contributes to what is plaguing. Not just the country on the whole, but specifically the Republican Party, which now has a. Uh, uh, a clear favorite to land the nomination who also has a ton of indictments on him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's just so bizarre and that, you know, it's become clear and this is, I guess, always been the case, but there is, there's absolutely nothing. I mean, they could, they could break free from this. They they don't have to put themselves through this. Mm -hmm. They don't have to put a guy up for the nomination of president who, uh, who could be in a jail cell. You know, during when people are voting, like they don't have to do this. And, and, you know, I think it goes back to, and, you know, for you and, and, and your listeners, if you don't remember, uh, Fox News was recently forced to pay $787 billion defamation settlement for these exact same lies. And it just, you know, they, they keep capitulating to the craziest of the crazies in the right wing base. And it keeps costing them, and and they're going to have people sitting in jail. They're going to have their nominee for president sitting in jail, all because they created this Frankenstein's monster that they don't know what to do with now. And it's so quirky to watch as you know we approach yeah. the date of the first uh, primary debate on the right, and the the GOP is not going to let anybody on the dais who doesn't sign a pledge to support the eventual nominee. And he's not going to sign it, so he's obviously that's going to be his out. 
But you guys were also, you, you did a survey here recently that showed just how many hours of television Fox News and OANN Newsmax are giving Donald Trump versus all the other candidates. And they're doing it again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you look at, like, you look at Ron DeSantis. Like, what is, what is, what is this guy even thinking? Like, I, I mean, having your, your, your political opponent indicted for crimes that he obviously committed it's the biggest political gift that, that you could be handed and instead of you know desantis instead of saying pointing that out saying that like this guy's going to be sitting in jail when people are voting instead he's saying like i'm going to pardon him you know i would pardon him uh. when i became president and it's just the uh, it, it's really wild and you know last night i was sitting here thinking about this it's just everybody everybody in donald trump orbit anybody that defends him the way that these people defend him you end up in jail you know or you end up going broke like he just he destroys everything and everyone in his orbit it's, it's amazing to watch it is breathtaking and i can't help but notice and i've said this uh it was either last week or the week before i did this whole segment on chris christie and how like to me as a democrat He's the one that scares me the most because I actually kind of think he's sort of almost reasonable. I don't, I don't know if that's just like a uh, my mind has changed or my perspective is different after living through a Trump presidency. But the guy almost seems like a I sit down and have lunch with him. I wouldn't agree with him on much, but I could at least agree to sit down and have lunch with the guy. Whereas, he you know, seems normal. Right. He seems like a normal guy, at least. And yeah. none of these other people, DeSantis and Nikki Haley, and, and they they're just weirdos, man. He can't get any traction in that primary. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, and and it just goes to you know they they have just fed all of this vitriol and this hatred and this BS and the nonsense. They just keep feeding it to the Republican base, and the Republican base believes it. You know, they they just believe it, and there's nothing there. You know, all of this stuff. Uh, abortion is going to crush. Republicans politically for uh, in, until they figure it out, you know, and but they can't the, they can't turn away from it because it would crush them in their own primaries. And it's just they, they, they've painted themselves into a corner by capitulating to the extremists in their own party. And, and there's no way out. Like, I, I don't really see a way out for them at this point. Well, electorally, they have the cover of the Electoral College to give them the opportunity to continue trying to seek the highest office in the land without actually ever winning the popular vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, that, that's really the, the only thing that they, they still have in their arsenal. And it, as long as it continues to give them the opportunity occasionally to have some cover, that's what they're going to have. So uh, I guess one last thought I wanted to have about last night's coverage. Uh, Sean Hannity, of course, handled most of it. Was there anyone of any journalistic integrity getting any airtime otherwise between uh, Sean Hannity and his his many Trump boot looking guests? I, I mean, we would have to we would have to define journalistic integrity. I think <laughs> uh, you know Brett Brett Baer came on uh, okay. for a little while. I think Trace Gallagher came on, but they weren't anchoring the coverage. And and this was the first time you know Hannity went long. Hannity's show usually goes from nine to ten. I was going to say that, yeah. And then 10 to 11 is Greg Gutfeld, Gutfeld his, right. yeah, yeah, his uh, quote unquote late night show. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, his show uh, films in the afternoon at like 1.30, maybe 2 o'clock in the afternoon before any of this uh, happened. Okay. And what they used to do with Gutfeld is they would, um, they would preempt him with Martha McCollum. 
and which is more of a, a newsy type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time that I've ever seen them extend one of their uh, uh, opinion hosts uh, past past their show time because they're more newsy, I guess, than the other opinion hosts. So you know, we were kind of joking about it at Media Matters last night that Sean Hannity is now apparently their breaking news anchor, and and it's just. It's just such trash. I I understand that Rachel Maddow is not a nonpartisan person, but when it comes time for MSN to deliver news, I I just do. I trust Rachel Maddow because she is a fact-based person. Yes, she's a liberal, but when it comes right down to it, she delivers the news as it comes out. I, I, I that's me showing my bias, I guess. But right, well, and it's just it is so bizarre. We've talked about this Dominion lawsuit a few times, but I keep thinking about the text messages from Sean Hannity saying he did not believe any of these election lies that Donald Trump was just indicted for. You know, he he was saying he didn't believe them, and. Now he's on air still. And it's like, what are these people? What are the Fox News viewers going to wake up? These people are lying to you for money. Um, and they've been doing it for years. Well, I, I guess that's yet to be seen. But uh, right. listen, I appreciate you guys watching this coverage so that the rest of us don't have to. But I, I you know, I, I feel like you're like the shepherd watching for the wolves as, as we sheep continue to lap up the liberal swill from the mainstream media. Is that how they say it? I think that's how they yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's it, it is an interesting job. I'll say that. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate you guys doing that for us. We're at uh, Media Matters for America. Thank you so much for the time to uh, discuss what was going on on the air at Fox News. And I suppose OAN and Newsmax was no better, right? It had to be worse. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Ron. It's always fun. All right. Andrew Lawrence, Deputy Director of Rapid Response Media Matters. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. Katie Rinderley's attorney, Craig Goodmark, on next here at The Ron Show, America One Radio, or wherever you podcast. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So we've been following this story now for a few months. We didn't find out, I guess, publicly until about three months ago or so that Katie Rinderley, uh, her career as an educator in Cobb County was just twisting in the breeze. She had been suspended since March. Uh, in large part due to reading a book that her students chose that came from a school book fair that occurred on school grounds. And the name of the book, My Shadow is Purple, is just this cute little innocuous book that just talks about how kids may not relate to being blue for boy or pink for girl, but somewhere else on the spectrum. And conservative heads have been exploding ever since, reading more into a book than there actually is. Here to join me is Katie Rinderley's attorney, Craig Goodmark, with some good news today. Craig, the latest, if you don't mind, sharing the news. I'll let you break it to him. Absolutely. Thank you. It's good to be here, Ron. Um, After two days of testimony uh, in front of a tribunal of the Cobb County Board of Education, uh, the tribunal, which is hand-selected by the the Board of Education, um, made a decision that uh, the actions that Ms. Rinderley took uh, did not warrant termination. Mm. And so um, the recommendation of the superintendent, which is the person that is hired by the board, had been rejected by this tribunal. Um, they didn't put her own recommendation in, um, and this will be uh, an, an item for the board to consider on Thursday night. But um, this is, if, there was, if this was a fight, this is the first round, and the first round is going to Ms. Rinderley. It's important to point out, by the way, this tribunal is uh, made up largely, if not completely, of a group of retired educators. Is that correct? 100%. They were three tribunal members. They were all three retired administrators that had worked in Cobb County. 
Um, they, to their credit, they listened for two days. Uh, the district put on several witnesses. And after all of that testimony, um, they were unable to conclude what the district wanted them to believe, which is Katie Renderly is somehow a monster. Um, and so uh, what they did here uh, was that there was no consensus about what this um, about this issue, that the policies that they were trying to enforce um, could not be defined by any witness that took the stand. Um, nobody could say what was divisive. Nobody could give me a definition of controversial or what is sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and to subject a teacher to termination for a rule that nobody could predict <laughs> is just simply unfair. Yeah, or define, right. Uh, well, first of all, how is Katie? I think she she feels um, mixed about the decision because she was, uh, the decision uh, wasn't a hundred percent in her favor. She there were um, two charges that were sustained, um, and she is still subject to the board's um, political agenda. Uh, but I think she's grateful. She's grateful to the tribunal that they actually listened. Mm-hmm. And um, of the most uh, compelling pieces of what the tribunal found uh, was a complete rejection of the the board's public comments out of this courtroom that Katie Rennerly was a bad teacher. Yeah. It was a com- complete and resounding rejection of that because it's just not true. She is a amazing teacher. Uh, her principal knew that because her evaluations were sterling. Right. Uh, parents of the kids in the class knew that even the parents uh, that would come into court to complain uh, couldn't identify any complaints in writing uh, at the time uh, that they were complaining about. You know, this was uh, manufactured, I believe, by the district to try to make uh, Katie Renderly look bad, uh, and it was rejected out of hand. So, two questions I have: uh, what, what, what stuck? What, what, uh, what issue stuck as far as what the tribunal uh, adjudicated to to conclude? Sure. Uh, well, it, it's again more of the confusion about what's controversial, mm-hmm. uh, who gets to say what's appropriate. Uh, And what is the outcome when parents with a political agenda from outside of the classroom uh, send in their complaint and put a teacher in the crosshairs? And that's not resolved because the findings of the tribunal were that um, somehow that this book is not appropriate according to somebody's definition, Mm -hmm. that this book was controversial according to somebody's definition, uh, and that Katie should have uh, sought the approval of her supervisor before before, I guess before putting it in the bin because she's not the person that brought the book out. Mm-hmm. It was the kids that voted on that book. And again, this goes back to how how the kids even got the book in the first place. Uh, at what point in time is there a, a lack of responsibility on the school board's part for allowing a, a book vendor to come in and host a book fair with books like this if if they're not allowed to let kids read the book? Absolutely, and that was not part of the discussion. And in fact, um, there there was uh, at least some indication by the district that they believe that's not a legitimate reason uh, to say that you can read this. Uh, and, t- and they took no responsibility at all. Yeah, of which course, is consistent, which is consistent with uh, the way they've been handling this matter. Right. Again, this is this is this is a task that they want to put on the teacher, the the overworked, underpaid staffer 
who uh, now also has to screen uh, entire libraries or even traveling libraries of books before their kids even put a hand on it. it. It's an onerous burden, if you ask me, and it's one that I think the school board needs to shoulder the responsibility for themselves. Absolutely. And to take it one step further and to apply a definition of, of you know, somebody's policy that nobody could ever know. Right. It's like um, nailing jello. You know, absolutely. And it, it's creating an environment of fear and concern among educators down here in Georgia. And it, it's, um, I think it's probably designed to do that mm. among public educator, public yeah. educators. But I can tell you that it is harmful uh, and it's just bad for business. Well, and I hate to use this analogy, but I feel like this is an apt analogy. You know, in the slave era, the punishing of uh, a mouthy slave was done before the other slaves to keep the rest of the slaves scared of being mouthy or, or you know, starting an uprising themselves. And I almost feel like this is this was Katie Rinderley's plight to begin with, you know, uh, to, to be made an example of. Well, it certainly goes back to the legislature's decision to create these open-ended policies or laws um, with definite, with you know, with terms that aren't defined, uh, and then inject them into the public education system with people that are, you know, doing already what is the hardest job, which mm. is teaching in public schools. But then to add a layer of fear and concern on top of that. Uh, it really makes it almost impossible to do your job. We're with uh, Katie Rinderley's attorney, Craig Goodmark. Katie uh, has been partially absolved by a tribunal. We will find out Thursday whether or not she gets to keep her job as the Cobb County School Board weighs the tribunal's findings that she uh, bears no responsibility for, I, I suppose, reading the book, Mike, Shadow is Purple, uh, before her fifth grade class at Due West Elementary School. My second question to you uh, of the two that I wanted to ask does Katie even want to work for this school system anymore? It's a good question. I, I don't know. And Katie would be the best person to ask about that. I'd say that I would understand if she didn't. Uh, this is a school system who had deviated from the playbook and publicly uh, you know, smeared Katie Rinderley's name in the press before yeah. this hearing in order to try to gain some advantage. Um, it's just Beyond the pale, and, and again, another one of the resounding rejections by the tribunal was that somehow last year, Katie Rinderley uh, was a bad teacher, and it's just not true. Uh, and again, I, I would understand if she didn't. She's a dedicated, lifetime career educator. She's a professional. Um, if she didn't work there, that would be Cobb County's loss. I was watching a uh, Sunday local pundit uh, show. I don't know if you watch it either, the Georgia Gang on uh, Fox 5 WAGA television, and I nearly leapt through the TV screen. I wanted to, I really wanted to wring the neck <laughs> in a playful way, but I still wanted to wring this guy's neck. Phil Kent, uh, one of the uh, conservative pundits on the show, uh, said that Katie was a disgrace as an educator. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? If Katie's married, her husband needs to to go meet this man and say, I want you to say that to my face. Or if, if you know, Katie's dead, you know, that's just, a, I'm sorry, it's just out of out of the realm of possibility. Never mind the fact that Phil Kent was wearing a, uh, like a very maize yellow blazer that day. He obviously didn't feel gray or black or navy blue like most men would when they go out to go do television shows wearing a suit. He decided to wear a colorful yellow blazer because he felt yellow that day. And I just couldn't help but note the irony of that. Uh, I, I don't even know if you need to comment on that, but that's something that really just just chapped my ass. To, and I don't know Katie one way or the other, but uh, you know, I, I've seen interviews, I've heard the stories, I've heard you know how kids feel about her, 
And I'm thinking to myself, how the hell does Phil Kent know what kind of an educator she uh, she, uh, she is? And, and why would he use the term disgrace when her record said nothing of the sort? Uh, I agree completely. It's consistent with the playbook that's being followed um, by the district and the, and the Board of Education right now. Uh, I believe, um, you know, it's it's an overshot. And it, it just simply isn't true. And, and it, it's mean-spirited. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's one thing, like we talked about in our trial, to have a difference of opinion. It's right. one thing to believe two different things. It is certainly another to ratchet up the rhetoric to a point when, you know, people are sending in hate mail. People oh are God. calling people names. And you're talking about somebody who's committed her life to uh, public education. Uh, last time I checked, we don't have enough teachers, right? And this certainly isn't. It certainly isn't good for recruiting, right? I mean, seriously, she's getting hate mail. A, a teacher who earns like what about sixty grand a year is getting hate mail. Are you serious? Did she, did she really get hate mail over this? Yeah, I think it was more uh, kind of the social media variety. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I mean that that can be just as damaging and just as uh, traumatic to to receive. Uh, been been mm-hmm. there, done that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just awful. Um, I guess my, my, does Katie live in Cobb County? Does she have any ambitions to maybe running for a school board seat if she doesn't take a job back or doesn't win the job back? A good question. Um, I think she does. Yes, she does live in Cobb County. And she actually, uh, this is something I learned at the, at the hearing. You know, she went to Cobb County schools from K through 12. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> She's a product of Cobb County education and one of probably one of their best products. Uh. Um, and now, now she's being treated this way by the board that uh, gave her her degree. And it, or gave her her diploma, excuse me. And that's just, I mean, it, it's really frustrating. Wow. Circular firing squad there. Uh, I, I guess my last question to you, uh, you, you're her attorney. Is is there any grounds for, you know, counter counterclaims like, a, you know, slander or, or, you know, defamation of character or anything like that? Because th- this is perilously close to her not only losing a job, but being unable to get a job elsewhere because of all of the publicity that this story has garnered. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know the answer off the top of my head. Uh, it certainly is frustrating. I certainly would support Katie if she wanted to, to, to take some action against the person that had gone publicly and uh, attempted to, to smear her name, which is, I think is just outrageously wrong by a, a state agency to do that. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but it, you know, I'm I'm behind Katie, and I believe that in the end, um, the the public's going to know what is true, uh, and Katie will be back in the classroom, thankfully, uh, for Georgia's kids. And, and God bless her if that's what she chooses to do. If the uh, school board sees it that way on uh, Thursday evening at their regular meeting, I, I think it takes a lot of courage to go back into a work environment where you know there are those who have. Uh, motives to, to, to not be in your best interest. Uh, but, but to, to think of the kids, uh, that she obviously had an attachment to the, uh, the, the kids having an attachment to her as well and to just rise above and do what's best for the greater good. That's, that's admirable if that's what she decides to do. I agree. All right, Craig, good mark. Uh, Katie Rinderley's attorney, uh, Katie, uh, of course, getting uh, the nod from the tribunal. We just found out hours ago today that this, uh, you said it was a three person tribunal, right? That's correct. Uh, found unanimously in her favor that she should not lose her job. The Cobb County School Board meets Thursday. Will you be in attendance for that as well? Uh, it remains to be seen, but there will be plenty of Katie Rinderley supporters there. Wear your purple. Oh, that's oh, that's cute. That's cute. Very good. Craig Goodmart, thanks for the time. I appreciate you giving us an update.
Absolutely, Ron. It's good talking to you. Same here, Craig. Can't think of a better way to end the show than on that note. Katie Rinderly, if she so chooses, appears to be in line to keep her job teaching elementary school kids at Due West Elementary School. Now, it remains to be seen if the Cobb County School Board will eat some crow and agree with the findings of the tribunal that they seated themselves, or if they will reject the process that is as cumbersome as it is and as foggy as it is, apparently on purpose, and terminate her employment nonetheless. And what will that teach the kids, after all? That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Plenty more to find at ronshowatl.com. See you tomorrow.